The following audio drama is rated PG-13 for parental guidance. Hello there, this is Jason Burrows. I am the producer of Adventure They Wrote, and I also play Max the Goblin Detective. Our show is a noir-themed audio drama which follows the Waterdeep Detective Agency as we solve mysteries around the city using 5th edition D&D. Right now, we are nearing the end of our third season of the show, and this is episode number one of our current season entitled Cold Case, where the detectives take on the mystery of a 300-year-old unsolved murder. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. They call it the City of Splendors, Crown of the North. And as some, this winter isn't so bad. Warm by their hearths, safe in their homes. But to others, it's simply a frigid metropolis, full of crime and the deception of people vying against each other. And it's a little emptier of the warmth of close friends. So yeah, the comfortable call it the City of Splendors, but to everyone else, it's just water deep. Hello everyone, welcome back to Adventure They Wrote. This is season three. Uh, We are back in front of our microphones after a bit of an extended hiatus. I want to thank everyone for their patience. Um, In addition to wrapping up that last season, um, I had a very brief Uh, and minor throat surgery, but we are back and ready to go. Um, Talia has enjoyed the peace and quiet, and now we're ready to play some Dungeons and Dragons. So I want to thank... you guys are married? Yeah, it's a thing. We are. Oh, God. Super married. Super married. (laughs) I want to thank all the fans uh, for their well wishes while I was recovering. That was great to see. And I want to thank cast members for uh, waiting so patiently for me to develop a new season's worth of rich back story but we're ready to go now we're ready to get back at it so it's been a few months it's been a few months for the adventurers as well so before we get into the actual story itself we're going to talk about where max celine ledger and doran are uh, at the beginning of season three so max jason tell us where max is uh, as we start season three Well, Max has been um, burying himself in work. So with the loss of the Countess, Max is kind of, I don't want to say that Max has lost his way. He's just, he's just a little in the woods and he's trying to, he's trying to figure out how to make his way without his moral center there alongside of him. And... Max is a goblin, uh, Max the Goblin Detective. He is uh, standard goblin size, standard goblin green. He dresses the detective part. He's got his studded leather armor underneath the the detective's overcoat. And uh, his, his overcoat's a little, you know, a little worse for wear. It's a little dirtier. It's a little, you know, he's been sleeping in the office. He hasn't been going home. He's been doing a lot of odd jobs outside of the agency just to be able to bring in more income because he feels like he needs to pull more weight with the loss of the countess and her her benefactor-ness of the um you know the financial side of the agency and so he's been doing some work for bayron the fixer in the meantime and um so he's a little he's a little tired He's a little grumpy, but he's still he's still Max. He's still a good goblin. All right. Talia, how about Celine? Celine has been doing a lot of side work, picking up a lot of extra shows uh, just to kind of try to pull her weight to help keep the agency afloat. She has definitely felt the loss of the Countess. She's actually been avoiding her vice of whiskey quite a bit, just trying to kind of deal with... You know, the, the changes in Team Tall and her well-being overall. Um, she is a very tall tiefling, if you're unaware. She is bright red, uh, so in the cold winter months, she stands out against the uh, landscape quite a bit. But she does come from Levistus, so she is 
uh, well acclimated to the cold. She doesn't really have a problem with that part of it. She does wear a nice thick leather jacket, though, with some nice fur-lined trim. Uh, and she has a new hat that is uh, treating her well. Um, it is the Hat of Disguise that she can use to cast Disguise Self at will. So she can utilize that a little bit more to her benefit when she is doing shows to kind of treat the crowd and also um, when we're out on a case. Great. Brad, how is Doran handling uh, these changes to the detective agency? Uh, Yeah, after the Countess, you know, Doran, he was pretty close to the Countess, so he went back to his woods outside of Waterdeep. Um, He's a forest gnome, so that's his natural environment, and he's a druid, so he wanted to go back and check it out. He's part of Team Small, as everybody should know, and uh, he needed to meditate to clear his mind. So he went back to the forest where he's got his druid circles and all that good stuff, and he spent a good month there outside of the team. That's where he hit level 7 and got all his cool new powers. And so he came back, found out that he had a meat pie stand inherited to him. And uh, he has been on the street slinging meat pies because he's still trying to get a hold of that corruption lead because his force has still got corruption in it. And he's, he loves meat pies, so he's eaten his own stock. So he hasn't made too much money, unfortunately. But yeah, so gnomes, you know, they live a long time. He He's sad about the Countess, but... It's part of a gnome's existence for the other races to pass them by sometimes like that. So he's still trying to be bright and cheery and trying to be the cheerleader for the team and keep everyone's everyone's moral high. Great. Uh, Sam, Ledger was a new addition last season to the Waterdeep Dicks. How is he doing uh, as season three is getting ready to start? Ledger's been just angsty. Um, you know, for, for those of you that don't know Ledger, he's a, a human. He has a very bookish demeanor, white hair, pale skin, blue eyes. And um, last season, uh, people could already see that he was scarred with, uh, with Lichtenberg marks uh, that suggests that he was once struck by lightning. And uh, now his back is also covered in burn scars from an explosion that happened in Waterdeep Harbor. He's taken the loss of the Countess hard, and he's found his temper shorter lately, and his fiery attitude has kind of put everyone else around him on edge. During this time, he's used various sort of operations and creative bookkeeping to, um, to help keep the agency solvent. Excellent. I think with the backstory for the characters established, let's dig right in and start season three. As season three opens, Waterdeep is firmly in the grip of the worst winter in living memory. Uh, And that's pretty remarkable when you consider the living memories of elves and dwarves. When deep snow doesn't blanket the streets, freezing rain coats everything in sheets of ice. Though churches, guild halls, and even some nobles have thrown open their doors to the less fortunate, The sub-zero temperatures have taken their toll on the most vulnerable in Waterdeep, uh, the people that can't afford to stay warm or uh, find themselves without homes. Inside the offices of the Waterdeep Detective Agency, the somber mood is a match for the icy weather outside. Though the sun set hours ago, work continues by flickering lantern light, the only sound the howling wind pushing in on the windows. In the corner, A comfortable chair sits empty. The antique tea set on the table next to it, unused, collecting dust. Just as the wind dies and the night seems its most quiet, sharp footsteps approach the door to the office and a dark silhouette fills the frosted glass window. Moments later, a firm but gentle knock echoes off the door. Maxwell walk over and open the door. Hector will give a little hello. That sort of sounds like it has a question mark at the end of it. Max, you open the door, you find an immaculately dressed man standing in the hallway outside. Uh, He looks completely at odds with the dock district where the, the office is, and his incongruity seems to amuse him. He has, you know, his, his mouth is upturned with the slightest smile. 
uh, and he just seems to sort of be enjoying the fact that he is out of his element and sort of slumming it with the people that inhabit this district. Welcome to the Waterdeep Detective Agency. Hello, I will be your Detective Max. How can we help you? He looks down at you and sort of seems to notice you for the first time, despite the fact that you opened the door for him. Uh, And he says, uh, yes, the Goblin Detective. Wonderful. Max nods and, and motions him inside. Celine is sitting in the back, kind of looking off in the distance, um, but she's shaken by the entrance of the visitor, and she's actually going to go over to the tea set um, and dust it off a little bit uh, and go get the kettle and put it on the stove and just kind of motion over to Max and say, the Countess would have wanted this and start putting tea on for everyone with the visitor entering. And Ledger was over near near Hector's birdcage and kind of as soon as he heard the knock sort of shuffled over to try to throw on a collared shirt so that he at least looked a little bit presentable. So now he has sort of like a half-buttoned, untucked collared shirt on and, and kind of walks over to um, to see what the conversation's about. Dorn was sitting next to Hector too and he looks right hanging out with him. And uh, he hopped off and He just brushed off the visitor seat and got it ready for the the noble dude. So the man enters the room and he takes it in. Again, you all get the sense that he's a little bemused with this. There's a particular novelty value that he seems to have entering here and being a part of, of this world as opposed to the world that he is used to being in. And he looks down at the seat. Uh, that that Max offers him, um, and very elegantly he sits down and just takes in his surroundings, uh, appreciating what he would consider decor of the office. Max will walk around behind the desk and kind of hop up onto the little the chair behind the desk and put his hands on the you know on the top and ask, "All right, so um, what can we do for you?" He, he looks at you, Max, and he says, I have to admit, I was hesitant to approach you about this matter. You came to my attention earlier this year with the, the business of the, the Luskin crime syndicate, and you impressed with your handling of the pirates on Waterdeep Isle. But the task... I mean to assign you is one that I have assigned numerous agents within the city, uh, both private and official, and no one has been able to come up with an answer for me. Uh, all right. Well, um, first of all, hello, I'm I'm Max, the Goblin Detective, and uh, who, who are you? The man, he, he almost waves his hand. He says, of course, of course, my manners uh, escape me. I am, uh, I am Duke Moritan, and it is my pleasure to make your acquaintance. Duke Moritan. Pleasure to meet you. You recognize this name. This is Waterdeep nobility. This is upper crust. This is... You know, in, in all of your adventures so far, you've met some sort of nobles and and uh, the elite, but you've never touched this echelon. This is the you know the the Kennedys of Waterdeep. Like this guy hangs out with the masked lords. Yeah, it's likely. Wow. Okay. Now, would I have recognized him when he came in, or would I just be now recognizing the name? You recognize the name. Oftentimes, these nobles are not seen out in public. They're not to the level of like a uh, the unmasked lord or uh, the black staff or someone would who would appear at like a civic function. Sure. As part of you know a parade or something like that, uh, he is just kind of like way up there. He is you know one of the elites uh, that people talk about when they talk about the power structure of Waterdeep. Okay, um, that'll give that'll give Max a little bit of not pause, but he'll 
he'll lean in with a little more interest and say, Oh, well, um, if the help that you were looking for um, in the North Ward and the Castle District couldn't help, um, how can we, uh, how can we be of real assistance? He chuckles uh, and he says, oftentimes the the assistance that I've contracted in the past, whether it be through private agency or through civic assistance, um, are incapable of thinking outside the box. Uh, the massive craters on Waterdeep Isle lead me to believe uh, that you are capable of more creative thinking. Ledger has never heard of anyone of nobility traveling solo, let alone in the docks, so he's going to try to nonchalantly walk over to the window and see what uh, what the scene looks like outside, and also to see if he can hear anyone. Go ahead and roll a perception check. Not great. Perception... Oh, well, Ledger has really good perception, so it's 11. Um, you're actually not able to see through the window. The the driving snow outside and the wind is obscuring your vision of what, you know, might lay beyond in the street. And the noise of the wind and the noise of the weather outside is, is preventing you from really hearing if anyone is out in the hallway. Selena's going to perk up at the out-of-the-box comment uh, and sort of join the conversation. I thought you were going to show him the filing cabinet. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not quite yet. I need to hold my secrets a little bit. <laughs> so at that comment, though, she is going to kind of lean in because she's poured all of the tea and she's been kind of sipping there, just sort of listening to Max and him discuss the business at hand. What exactly are you looking for for out-of-the-box work? I mean, we're unconventional, but are you that desperate? Again, he seems amused. Upturned smile, not at all intimidated by the tiefling. And he says, um, unconventional mysteries call for unconventional solutions. So this guy's got all these people doing this job. We have our pulse kind of on the, our finger on the pulse of the yeah. detective community. Have we heard anything about this big job that's going on? You have not. No, no one has, no one in the, in the, you know, there's the, the circle of um, private investigation within Waterdeep is not uh, overly massive, um, but there is, you know, connections and there are, uh, after work hangs and no one has mentioned any sort of high profile work from Duke Moraton. So I think Celine is going to be a little shaken by his demeanor since he's not really set aback by her or her sort of forward remark towards the work and uh, she's just going to ask well if you haven't been able to find someone to do this work, and we haven't heard about it, what exactly do you need us to come up with? Everyone roll a perception check. Ledger is 13. Celine got a 9. Doran, what did you get? 20 total. Wow. And Max? 25. <laughs> Damn it! How did I get Unbelievable. the Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. 25. 18 on the dice. Doran and Max, you both get the impression that he is just relishing the theatricality of this. He's he's putting on a performance almost. He's there's something coming that he knows is going to shock, and he is bathing in it. And he leans forward. And the, the smile on his, the, the, the upturned corners of his mouth turn into a full-on smirk. And he says, I need you to solve a murder that happened over 300 years ago. Mm. So um, I'm guessing we're not going to have fresh fingerprints. <laughs> he chuckles. <laughs> it's unlikely. Go on. 
Yeah, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. <laughs> he says, this murder happened over 300 years ago. Uh, in the city of the dead. 300, you say? That's right. I can tell you all, as citizens of Waterdeep, you know that um, the city of the dead is uh, the capital of Spooky Town. Uh, it's you know where all of the uh, dead citizens of Waterdeep are buried, um, or where their bodies are disposed of. Uh, but as of late, real estate is getting sparse, so to speak. Within the city of the dead, there are uh, uh, certain mausoleums um, dedicated to adventurers, dedicated to the Waterdeep nobility, uh, even dedicated to you know, the kind of nameless adventurers and mercenaries that might have made it to the city, uh, but died anonymously um, on the side of the road somewhere. And people don't really go in there anymore. It's, uh, it's dangerous. Um, whether it's kind of grave robbers and criminals uh, looking to make a quick, if risky, uh, buck, or the undead rising from their crypts and you know, attacking wayward explorers. The general citizenry of Waterdeep steers clear. Max, Celine, you guys roll history checks. It's a 13 on the dice, so a 16 total for Max. A 9 for Celine. So Max, you know that um, a long time ago, it used to be better. A long time ago, uh, during the daytime, at least, the citizenry would actually go into the City of the Dead. It was almost like a park. Like a memorial. Um, it wasn't... Uh, well, yeah, it wasn't as dark and creepy as it is now. You could you could walk around in there during the daytime relatively safely. Now, uh, definitely more... Would you say it's nefarious activity? Nefarious might not be the right word, um, but... Uh, Dangerous, at the very least. Mm. Ledger's gonna pipe up. Uh, shouldn't you be talking to an archaeologist and uh, not a detective agency? He says, I've tried. Uh, I have contracted historians in the past uh, in an attempt to come at the problem from the side, so to speak. Unfortunately, uh, what they had in historical knowledge of the city and the district, they lacked in creative problem solving and uh, simple deduction. Well, we definitely have some creative problem solving skills, and uh, we're probably as specialized as it gets in this field. We, we are? <laughs> so something you don't know about Selene is she has... <laughs> A really high Are intellect. You <laughs> I'm not undead, but coming from demon descent, I happen to have a really high intelligence. Um, so, the, although she's very young, she's only 27 years old. She does have a really high history check. So, even though she rolled a four, <laughs> she got a nine because she has a plus five. So, in theory, she should be quite useful in this case. Dorian's going to pipe up from the back. What's the pay? Max will <laughs> point his thumb over his shoulder to Dorn. It's like, yeah, what uh, what he said. And he's going to give Max a thumbs up. So he sits back <laughs> in his chair and he laughs again. Uh, a very kind of... It, I, I, I want to make absolutely sure, like, none of this is coming across as smug. He's not smug. He's just kind of enjoying himself. Um, he's amused. Right. He's, he's, he's amused. He's That's playing. exactly it. He's playing. Bemused. Uh, and he says the pay is uh, negotiable. Um, but I will say this: uh, none of the none of the agents I've contracted in the past have been able to accomplish it. And at this point, I am willing to offer quite a premium uh, if you're able to solve this mystery. All right. Well, I mean, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Hold on, hold on. I need to step out of this for a second because we totally need the moment where Max is just like, I'll agree to take this cold case. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we do. Uh, he He's excited. He claps. He's, he, yes. 
marvelous. I'm so I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see what happens. I, I mean, I, I feel like you kind of knew that we were going to take this case, so uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, we really need the money. Doran, shut up. All of the pointed looks that Max has been avoiding giving everyone in the room all turn to Doran. Doran's just sitting there with a big grin on his face. Ledger at that point comes over. Oh, 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 there's a, a lot of con- confusion here. So our, our standard rates for mysteries of this sort of unsolved nature are... He kind of looks at Max while he says this. Very uh, high. Hundred gold Very for high. every year that it's been unsolved. <laughs> Let's, you know. Uh, this is a conversation that we can have not in front of the client. <laughs> Selena's just smirking at them all. Just <laughs> yes. This is a guy with more money than year. sense. If he's down here in the dock ward talking to us. <laughs> with no one with him. That you're aware of. Yeah, we don't know. He might have tons of guards downstairs. Yeah. Well, I guess it is frosted and we can't see outside. Yes, we will take your case, sir. Uh, he says, excellent. This is this is uh, fantastic. I, th- I thought you might. I thought you might. What sort of... Um... What sort of leads do you have? Uh, I can give you the names of uh, a historian that uh, I've worked with in the past who may have additional information for you. And I can I can set the stage for you, tell you a bit about the nature of the crime and possibly some some folks that you may want to speak with within the city. Please, please do. Celine pours a little more whiskey in his tea. The way he says the city uh, makes you think that the people that you're going to be talking to are within the city of the dead and not within the city of Waterdeep. I guess the first question I have um, is, who is the deceased? He leans forward, and as he does, his smile broadens, revealing extended canines and he says I am oh what (laughs) and this is you get the sense that this is what he was waiting for this was the drop this was the moment that he was so relishing Dorian shakes his fist and goes <laughs> Doran should be terrified. This is the most unnatural thing. It's, no, it's both. <laughs> Hector squawks. It makes sense that he's very wealthy. And he is. He's. He's. All of these reactions, he's just basking in. Them. Max is just nodding. <laughs> right? Like, Max is a goblin. Like, this stuff doesn't, you know. Yeah, Selena's leaning into this. Like, she's totally okay with it. I, I, I don't know much about vampire history or lore. Um, were you turned against your will? Uh, I was. And he leans back again and he uh, folds one leg over a knee um, as if he's getting comfy for a, a story. What I remember is hazy uh, as if I'm remembering something through a dream. In life, I was a minor noble, um, and I remember enjoying a quiet picnic at the park. I was with my beloved, and then I remember not so much actions, not so much specific memories but violence uh, and rage and terror and my new unlife began. I awoke possibly that night, possibly weeks later within a mausoleum in the city of the dead. From there, I, I was forced to rebuild my life. Since then, I've lived 
multiple lives. Sometimes Duke Moraton, and he gestures to himself in his finery. Sometimes a noble of moderate renown. Uh, and in one occasion, a pauper. But I am keen to understand what happened, where this came from, why. Quick question. He looks human, correct? Yes. Like he's, he's, he's presenting as a human. Yes. Your passive perception was not high enough to discern. He was undead. That he was not a human. My passive perception of 22? That's right. 22 passive perception. Okay. So he's been at this a while. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so uh, Max will, like, Max is writing all of this down in his pad, and uh, Max is very interested now. And uh, so he's going to ask, um, so do you remember what name you were, like your original name before you were turned? He gets a very far away look in his eyes, and you, you almost see him go back. Connor. Connor Morat. Celine would like to ask what mausoleum he woke up in. He snaps out of his reverie and he says, yes, I, I awoke within the deep winter vault. Uh, and you know, being citizens of Waterdeep uh, and having, you know, even a passing familiarity with the the city of the dead that the deep water vault or deep winter vault I'm sorry uh, is not really um, in use anymore at one point it was used to house certain members of the nobility and that um, it was also the entrance to the dungeon of the crypt which was uh, a dungeon within the city of the dead full of undead creepy crawlies so Dorn will ask did you have any associates that are still alive when it happened? He grins. He says, alive? No. Uh, but you may have some interesting conversations within the city. How long has the Deep Winter Vault not been in use? Over a hundred years. Now, um, being a, a goblin that is not as familiar with vampire um, history and lore, um... Do you associate with um, other vampires currently? Um, are there any... Is uh, is there anyone that we should be uh, talking to or avoiding outright? For the first time since entering the office, he gets a look of mild distaste, as if he could actually smell what the office smelled like. <laughs> he says, uh, early on... In my new life, I would occasionally associate with others of my kind. And he runs, you know, a, a tongue across one of his teeth a little bit. But I find the whole business distasteful. I'm unfamiliar with who or who is not my kind currently. Oh, okay within the confines of the city. I would, Max, would like to roll insight to see how truthful he is being about that fact. Okay. Ugh. It's uh, eight on the dice, so 15 total. You're not really getting a good idea. All right. Um, I mean, this guy has been around for a long time. Like, he could be a pretty practiced liar at this point. Right. I think... Uh, Celine will lean in and say, well, if you originally had, uh, how you say it, undead associates, would liches be involved in that category of associates? He laughs. He says, not that I'm aware of. Uh, I wouldn't be coming to you if they were. Uh, we would have... <laughs> we would have... Uh, bigger things to deal with, I think, than who did this to me. And um, who is this historian that you uh, that you are pointing us toward? He claps his hands again and he says, "Oh, you! This guy is something else. You'll find him in the North Ward. Uh, he owns a lovely bookshop up there. It's just 
It's just something else. Brilliant. I absolutely love bookshops. <laughs> Did you have anything new or different in the weeks or months before your turning? Could you clarify that question, Brad? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, um, like new adventures or new, uh, new projects or this new, was this purse beloved new or? He uh, sits back again. He goes back to his reverie, his state of remembrance. Uh, and he says, no, I, I was a relatively bookish lad. I didn't concern myself with the happenings in the Undermountain or the adventuring parties that were in and out of the city. I had been courting Alma for months uh, at the time, and we had known each other for years. Uh, there was just nothing new that would have warranted this. And what family does Alma come from? She was from a merchant family. Uh, not noble at all. If memory serves, they dealt in iron stock. Do you know her surname? Alma Boren. If she was uh, from a merchant family and you were from a noble family, was your was your kin, um, were they keen on this match? Or was there um, any sort of, you should be aiming higher in that? I believe my father was less than thrilled at the prospect, but I was his third son. He lost nothing in me being with her. Perhaps pride. And when he said he was in the park, did he say which park, or did he mean the back when the City of the Dead was a place where people hung out? Uh, that. Back when the City of the Dead uh, was where people would hang out during the day. Yeah, Ledger asks, um, did you ever see Alma again? He gets sad. Wistful and sad. And he says once. Uh, once after this. And never again. Did she see you? No. She she thought that I was dead. She had mourned me. And I wasn't going to inflict upon her the pain that seeing me again would have caused. That's rather, um, that's rather honorable of you. Let's get more information about this historian. You said he owns a bookshop. Yes, yes. In the North Ward. Uh, what's his name? The name of the bookshop or the name of the historian? Both, but the name of the historian first, please. The historian is Basil Dweberson. What? Does that name mean anything to Ledger? It sounds goofy. <laughs> <laughs> and the bookshop? Dweberson's. All right. Uh, good, good to know. Uh, so uh, we had we have some other questions. Um, after you returned, after you awoke in the crypt and you and you found yourself in this vampiric form, um, what what did you do for the first I don't know couple of decades? He looks slightly embarrassed, and he says, "I have to admit, I am not proud." of my time. <clears throat> you have to understand, there's a considerable amount of uh, emotional trauma that's inflicted upon one who is first killed and then reborn. In addition to that trauma, you awake with considerable power. Strength beyond anything you could imagine, as well as certain magical capabilities. And then there is the thirst. I'm afraid I 
I spent those first decades on what some may call a bender. And and, uh, forgive me if this is a a crass question, but I'm I'm morbidly curious. Um, Is it any sort of humanoid or is it, do you have a specific taste for like humans or elves or dwarves? He pulls at his collar a little bit. Like this is, he is, he's more embarrassed now. Uh, and he says, uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, while any humanoid will do, uh, there are certain varietals that may <laughs> influence one's taste. I see. And now I, I take it from your demeanor and from uh, the way that you are answering these questions that you have found the life and the, the this sort of drive to be not as um, welcome as it may have been in your early centuries. Um, how do you mitigate that now? He gets sort of somber and he says, uh, never welcome. Imagine being carried away by a wave you do what you can to stay afloat. Oh, I, I know that well. But as time goes on, you're able to control yourself, the environment around you, more. At, at my age, I the thirst very rarely becomes too powerful for me. And I'm able to survive off of Perhaps donations would be the best term. Selena's going to ask, how old were you before you turned? He says, uh, I was 26. That is why you look so handsome now. Yeah, he looks good, you guys. He looks real good. 326-ish years. I get it. Do you have to use, like, makeup to make yourself look, you know, like, more distinguished? He says, I have to use makeup to make myself look alive. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And he he pulls a sleeve up, and you see the flesh above his wrist is a more pallid white. Oh, yeah, this is, wow, this is so fat. Max is just fascinated now. (laughs) Back to Max's original question, though. What varietals do you prefer? Say tiefling. Say tiefling. Don't say gnomes. Don't say gnomes. Don't say gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'd rather not say, but he does kind of look sideways at Doran a little bit and, and then like uh. everyone else. <laughs> Max is going to like reopen the notebook and like turn to a fresh page and, and say, okay, so... <clears throat> You said that you have been commissioning investigators for some time now. Um, How long do you generally wait between coming to someone like us? Uh, Has it been a few years? He looks up as if he's trying to remember. Uh, He says, oh, I believe the last time I contracted a private investigator must have been... 120 years ago. That would make sense that why we haven't heard of any sort of jobs like this. Do you have in your possession the um, uh, the work parts, the, the, the investigation work that has been done in the past? He says, I'm, I'm afraid I don't. And he, he sort of like picks at the arm of the chair a little bit. He's very pointedly not meeting your eyes. So what happened to the last investigator? Oh, they burned to death. Oh, that's fine. Oh, oh. In a fire. Oh. I don't have any oh. I don't have any problem Who with that. Who set the fire? <laughs> did you did you set the fire? No, certainly not. No, no. Oh, okay. Uh, Max would like to roll insight to make sure that he is telling me the truth. <laughs> and rolled a four. Oh, no. <laughs> not, not really getting a good sense on this guy. Max is having a tough time getting a read. This, this vampire would never lie to us. Fire isn't a problem anyways. It's fine. 
Doran's over there researching create water. <laughs> of all the times to be without a cleric. Yeah. <laughs> so Max is going to look around the room and kind of take the temperature of the rest of the the remaining Waterdeep Detective Agency. And um, we'll turn back to our new client, uh, Duke Moritan, and say, well, um... Is there anything else that we need to know before we start getting to work? He says, uh, yes, uh, there is There's one more thing. Once you enter the City of the Dead, uh, you will uh, be at some risk. I'm afraid it's a bit more dangerous than it has been in times past. And he rolls uh, four coins out of seemingly thin air uh, and he lays them down in a line across the table in front of Max and he says bring these with you they'll offer you some semblance of safe passage and uh, if given the opportunity just ask for Felix and he'll be able to provide additional information are these coins um are these coins currency for help, or are they a symbol of help? He says they are identification that will mark you as my... And he seems to struggle with the word a little bit. Like, he wants to get off it real quick. He says, these will identify you as my thralls. So the the, lo- <laughs> the local <laughs> elements there will uh, give you some latitude. Max legitimately chuckles. <laughs> Before you leave us, the previous investigator, while he may have come upon some, oh, heat of the moment excursions, did any of his files persist? Uh, he says no. Burned to ash, I'm afraid. Where was he originally located? In this very building. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> Legitimately, though, she does want to know where he originally had his business establishment in case they might want to do some archaeological excavation. He says, I believe his office was located in the South Ward, though... What is considered the south and what is considered the docks has changed somewhat over the years. It's a bit difficult to say precisely uh, where it was. And uh, do, do you have a name of this investigator just in case we want to uh, look up uh, and see, see what we can find? He taps his chin thoughtfully. He says, I believe... I believe he went by Sparrow. Max will stand and uh, look up at our vampire guest and say, Well, it's a pleasure to be um, in your employ. And um, I really do hope that we find more answers than we do death inside the city of the dead. He, He stands as well. And he says, as do I. And he extends his hand down to shake. Max shakes. Yeah, Max will shake his hand. Yeah. Firm handshake. He nods. He gives, he he nods to everyone else. And then he turns into a bunch of bats. And then he turns into (laughs) a bunch of bats. No, and then he, he just, he leaves. And you notice as he's leaving, you realize for the first time that he's really not wearing a big, heavy coat. Um, right. He's yeah. uh, like, there's no, there's no flush to his cheeks. The cold really doesn't seem to touch him. Um, and with uh, an incredibly self-assured and confident strut, he exits the office and closes the door behind him. As he's leaving, Doran lets out a breath that he didn't even know he was holding and he didn't know for how long. It's a great line. And uh, Max will turn and say, Well, looks like we've got ourselves a cold case. Oh, 
hello everyone. Jason, your producer here. Thank you for joining us for the first episode back after many months on hiatus. And if you're here for the first time after listening to our podcasts of Wild Mount episode, thank you for coming back. It was a real huge honor to be part of that project, and I'm very excited that we got to play in Critical Role's Sandbox for a little while. This is going to be a really fun season, and we are very excited about what's to come. But we're also really sad about the losses that we've suffered. And I want to give a huge shout out to both Kat Kruger and to Chris Tulock, the Countess and Gilly, respectively. They are both wonderful friends here in the Seattle area and they're fantastic cast members. We are really looking forward to the day that we can get them back behind the microphones with us. So huge thanks to both of them for being such great people and supporters of our show. Also... I want to say a huge thank you to our friends over at Tabletop Audio. Tim allows us to use all of his work at no charge for this podcast. He has so many awesome 10-minute soundscapes, music beds, sound effects, and the best part is it's all free to use for any tabletop thing that you need. Just head to tabletopaudio.com, check him out for any gaming use, and if you feel like chipping in, you can join Tim's Patreon. Patrons get access to alternate versions of each track, and we make really great use of those here on the show. Music-only tracks, effects-only tracks, you name it. So again, thank you to tabletopaudio.com for being an awesome partner on this show, and thanks to you for listening. We hope that you enjoy this season's Cold Case, and if you are so inclined, we would really love it if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help with the visibility of the show, and uh, we're on all of the major outlets, so give us some stars, write a review if you have a second. We really, really appreciate it. We will be back in two weeks with episode two, so stay tuned for more mystery. You have my attention, but or let's see, what was the, what's the uh, what's the quote? You had my attention, but now you have my uh, curi- you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. I don't know what the I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get it. We're interested. Do that again. I think that's a good. <laughs> How the turntables have, as if he could actually smell what the office smelled like. Fresh meat pies. Uh, or as if he was reacting to what the office, yeah, old meat pies and <laughs> goblin farts. Um, <laughs> uh, and he says, um, "Goblin farts." <laughs>